already been ingrained in us to daddy government knows best and dob on your neighbor, dob on your friend, dob on your family member. So people that think, oh, it's just coronavirus, it's been slowly implemented, right? And that's what I tell people and it's just, we're one of the most over-legislated countries in the world. Hi, I'm Evelyn Ray. Welcome to The Cauldron Pool Show. I'm joined with an amazing guest today. He has represented his country in the Olympics for basketball. He's, uh, you know, competed in the NBA. He's also uh, a podcast host of his own show. And he is also on the naughty list at the moment from the Australian government over here. And that is none other than Andrew Bogut. Thank you so much for joining me today. No worries. Thanks for having me. Now, a lot of people who are watching are probably wondering, why does a news and political uh, show in Australia have a famous basketball player on? You're obviously much more than that. You're an Australian. You've been through probably hell and back like a lot of us have the last few years. Um, but what I really kind of want people to understand is who you are as a person, because there's a reason I have you on today. A lot of the things that you're thinking are things that I'm thinking and my viewers are thinking we're like-minded. Um, and yeah, but before I kind of get into the politics and the meaty side of it, I would love for you to share like your incredibly impressive background in sport. I mean, we can't deny it. You're an amazing sportsman. And I'd love for you to share a little bit about that particular background with the viewers, if you don't mind. Um, yeah, I mean, just had a long-term NBA career, 14 years in the NBA, two years in college in the American system. So spent the most part, more than half of my life, or not, not now, but close to half of my life over in the US. Um, went through all the junior ranks in Melbourne, Victoria. And yeah, I mean, it's just a, a long career through three Olympics. Um, so I was very fortunate to you know, visit most of the world before my 21st birthday, the perks of the job, meeting a lot of different people and yeah, very, very unique situation. Not something that, you know, people ask about whether that was your dream fulfilled or whatever. It wasn't because I didn't think it was a realistic dream to have. It was more like a, you know, a fantasy or a unicorn, if that makes sense. The NBA was. Um, my dream was just to play professionally anywhere in the world. I, I didn't care if, if you gave me money to play basketball. I thought that's, that's, that's the best job in the world, right? So um that was kind of that and yeah i mean through that have, have, have met a lot of great influential people both business-wise politically whatever it is and yeah to finish on all that I, i've always you know spoke my mind on whatever topic it is and gave my opinion whether right or wrong and i continue to do so and i guess that's created a bit more uh traction for me in you know in the media and public speaking because people aren't used to an athlete that I guess doesn't toe the line um, and doesn't, you know, get his talking points from the PR part of their club or mm. team, country, you know, Olympic team or whatever. It just says what they think. So I think people appreciate that. Not all people, but most people appreciate that I'm, I'm trying to be as, as honest as I can. I think that's sort of what um, actually led me towards your pages on social media and stuff. You shared something I think that I wrote and was published on Cauldron Pool. And I remember thinking, wow, who's this basketballer who is sharing a political piece about Australia who obviously is agreeing with what I'm saying? And it's like you said, it's a real rarity to see somebody uh, like yourself, who is so open and honest and speaks their opinion without that filter. And without the lens that the mainstream media or, you know, pe people and powerful people to be sort of put over sportsmen, you know, when you were 
playing sport you're at high level sport like you you're not just like me who plays backyard cricket or you know backyard uh tennis with your mates like you were high level athlete you were representing our country did you find back then it was harder to voice your opinion was there censorship of your opinions back then or is this more of a modern idea because the culture has kind of changed um look once i once i look back when i was in my early 20s, start of my career, young and dumb, quote unquote, like most people starting out in a new job. When I look back at that time, I feel like we were kind of put into a little road of what we should say. You know, we had media training. And the more I look back at that, I realized that there was a lot of, it was kind of trying to tell you what to say. Don't talk about this, talk about this. It wasn't as blatant as it is today, but there was some training where they're trying to, you know, put you down mm. on, the right, on the right track, quote unquote, right? Like, don't stray outside the line. You know, um, that was early on. And that's only when I look back now, I realized that that was implemented on us without us even knowing it. And it still mm. is today. They do media training and all that kind of stuff. Um, I've had numerous phases in my career where I've received the call from, I once received a call from a executive, someone high up in the NBA about, about a post I put up. Um, that was, you know, they said, oh, you know, it's you got to be careful, blah, 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 blah. And they're trying to lean on me not to make those kind of comments by saying you wouldn't have a platform without us, like kind of shut up. Um, so yeah. I found that one funny. And then usually through the, some clubs, through their PR people, they'll try to just, you know, I think most PR people I've worked with, I've been real respectful of, but some um kind of knew that i was one of those guys that could just say something you know that's deemed inappropriate so they'd try to always be like come on you know come on bones you know just mm. just line kind of stuff um nudge nudge wink wink so definitely towards the end of my career i mean i once got a complaint i quoted a, a guy named steve earl he's a musician um pretty famous musician from back in the day i think the 80s a bit of rock and I quoted one of his song lyrics and it had had something about a Japanese guitar in it so the, the lyric was you know I've got 60 dollars $60 in my pocket and a Jap guitar I'm getting the number wrong but it was along those lines so he was trying to insinuate, insinuate that he was poor and he had a poor quality guitar at the time I quoted the lyric and then I got I got a let the club got a letter from someone who did a whole spiel about how that was racist and how that wow. was appropriate I should do sensitivity training and I was like I didn't understand number one the connotations of using the word jap in um you know in the in the us right mm, uh, yeah so that was one thing and then two i'm from australia like we shorten everything anyway <laughs> so, <laughs> that's true <laughs> how, do you, how do you explain that yeah. to this 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 bedwetter that's wrote the letter right so that's just a few examples and i continued on my course you know um I, i'd always voice my opinion whether it was about you know something I don't know too much about, I'd still give my opinion. And I think as a society, we should be able to do that. It doesn't, like I said, I'm, I'm not always right. I'm not always wrong. But I think as a society, and we're seeing it with the COVID debacle is that you can't even have those open conversations without possibly being censored, without being called names, without being abused, without being labeled. And I think that's, that's more of a concern to me um, in Australian society than anything else. Yeah. And I mean, you and I have both been living through the horrors of the last sort of few years in Australia. I think the problems have been here for a long before this, but I think it hasn't been tested and humanity in Australia hasn't been tested to this length until now. Um, and I know uh, you sort of went through a lot of the worst of it. You were in Victoria, am I right, for a lot of the sort of heavy ended part of the restrictions over here? 
Yeah, I was. I mean, I was in and out. And, you know, look, I, I said this from the start. At the start of the restrictions, uh, we were just finishing up a grand final series at the time with Sydney Kings. And we were supposed to fly to Perth for game four and um, our team had a meeting and, and we ended up pulling the plug. We got really not a whole lot of direction from the league or, and, and, not, and not to their, it's not their fault. It was unknown. This is April mm. 20, not knew what was going on. So we had a lot of guys, mm. we had imports, we had internationals that were worried about, can I get back to the US in a week's time? Yeah. Or sure now. So, so we ended up canning the series. We're down 2-1 with two games left and we canned it. They gave that to, to Perth, which was fine, whatever. So that's when lockdowns first started. And my whole thing was I kind of wasn't strongly against the lockdowns then because I didn't, I've never been through a pandemic in my life as most people have, have in Australia mm, or the world. So you're kind of like, uh, two weeks to flatten the curve makes sense. Like it kind of makes sense. So I can understand it's only two weeks. We stay home, we do our thing. We work from home for two weeks. So I wasn't strongly against it at that point. But as time went on, um, and two weeks turned to four weeks, turned to three months, turned to, what are we, two years, almost two years in, when two, two months away from being two years in. Mm. I started asking questions probably mid-20, like, hey, like, this is, having, this is having the reverse effects with kids in school, mental health, people's mm. jobs and livelihoods, divorce rates going to go up. Like, you know, as, as bad as it sounds, there's some families that their mum and dad probably shouldn't be homeschooling their children. It's just... It's harsh to say, but that's the reality. The mum and dad have their routine, which then gives them a mental refresh. They come home, then life's kind of, there's a, there's a routine that's taken away. Pressure rises for parents, pay, kids then cop it. You know, kids that might be in potentially abusive homes are now stuck at home 24 hours a day instead of, you know, instead of just 10 hours because they're not at school. All these things I was already thinking about and you bring them up and people are like, oh, just it's just two weeks, just, just suck it up. Just, mm. you know, it's better. And you're like, yeah, but you're not seeing the other side of the ball. You don't see that those stories or, or concerns in daily case numbers from our media. And I kind of clicked to that pretty early. And I saw it firsthand with, with friends and family, with their children and with people losing their jobs and and mm. people running their own businesses and just being crippled by what, what, what the restrictions were in place. So that's kind of, I started speaking up on that publicly mid, mid 20, cause I was like, nah, this, this isn't, this, this isn't right. We need to, we need to have a better solution. And that's kind of was my, was my point of view on it. Yeah. I think Melbourne actually still holds the world record for the most locked up city of all time. Like I'm not talking COVID I'm talking the history of, lockdowns throughout our time worldwide not just Australia but Melbourne actually broke that record so I think it was at, at 235 days I think it was that was the point where the record was broken um, and then it continued so I'm not sure if any other nation or state or territory will ever reach that there's a very uh, long two weeks if you ask me like you yeah, said on that people forget like that was hard lockdown right the 230. Yeah. So when they came, when, whenever the lockdowns got kind of dumbed down a little bit and they weren't full lockdowns, they were still in heavy restrictions. So it wasn't like, let's not forget, it wasn't like those other 300 days the last two years, 400 days, everything was free and open. They still had, oh, we're out of lockdown, but you can't leave more than five kilometres and you can't, you can't mm. do this, you can't go to work. So people psychologically were, were kind of tricked into thinking they were getting freedoms back yeah. You didn't get your freedoms back because you still couldn't go anywhere and do anything. Everything was closed. And, and if it was open, you had to stay within your five kilometers. There were still curfews at times throughout 
when the restrictions mm. lifted, schools were still closed. So, I mean, there's, yeah. there's the sigh-off around it all of like, hey, I'm giving you some freedoms back. And you actually had people, yes, we can we can leave our house to exercise for two hours now. Sensational. And I was just looking at it like, like no, yeah. don't, that's, that's not something to celebrate. But trying to, trying to tell that to, to everyday people was, you know, hard at times. Mm. We had something similar in New South Wales. December the 15th was the date that the unclean, like myself, were allowed out of our homes. And it was labelled as Freedom Day. And I remember thinking how ironic that was because we weren't free at all. The government had dropped little breadcrumbs, similar to what you said happened in Victoria. And it's like they've fed you a little breadcrumb and they've led you to this idea that you're free when really you're not. They're still in control of what you can do, what you can't do. There are still businesses that are discriminating unless you show them your vaccination card. Um, and we still have mask mandates, all these things. So it's not Freedom Day. It was very ironic. And I think it sounds pretty similar to what was sort of happening in Victoria. But you were there sort of in the thick of it, in the hard times. What was the morale like did, did you were many people like if you ran into them at the shops or something like what was the general feel down in sort of Melbourne Victoria in the harshest of restrictions oh it, it wasn't good it was it was the most mm. um depressing period of my life that I've, I've I've been in as far as the aesthetic socially and within a city or within a suburb that you're living in uh, but it was mm. It was really bad. People were angry. Everyone was angry. Everyone was on edge. Um, and you know, to an extent, you don't blame the people. You know, because the, the government had their thumb, you know, on their foreheads yeah. for the most part. But at the same time, maybe you do a little bit because people eventually have to stand up and say, "Look, this, this doesn't. The goalposts keep on moving. We're on we're on the 150th set of goalposts already that have been moved. Yeah. You know, <laughs> people got to eventually be like, "Hang on a second. Like, I got to think for myself." And it was it was very very depressing. Very. And, and on top of that, you know winter period melbourne winters mm. are, aren't the best of times so you know we had kids um with this at the time when i was in melbourne and you know you're like trying to get them outside and it's 10 degrees and windy and wet and you can't really exercise yeah. one and all that kind of stuff so it was it was dismal um and i still think the ramifications are there today and i still think yeah. they're going to continue on i think this is going to be felt for a long long time i, I, I really do I, I don't think it's as easy as politicians saying you know, Melbourne's a resilient city, or even Sydney. It's, we're a resilient country. We'll get back on track, you know, as soon as restrictions are lifted. Well, number one, when is that going to be? And number two, it's not as easy as that. People have lost their livelihoods. They've lost everything. Even, mm. even people that have had their vaccination mandated by work have, you know, that didn't want to. That Now, we're at 93% in Australia, apparently. Um, I would argue half of those people didn't want to get in the first place. They've... Yeah. they've, they've, they've they're probably hurting inside because they're like, I had to, I had to counter the government, right? Um, no mm. one talks about that. You know, everyone just says 93%, 93%. It's not 93% when you factor in that half of them were forced to get it. So there's part of that yeah. morale. You know, there's still mask mandates and shaming people and abusing people and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I'm mm. just looking at it like, wow. And Melbourne's, I think, taking the cake. I think um, Perth, Perth and or WA and Northern Territory are trying to catch up with Victoria. Yeah, trying, pretty quickly. To, we've got some time down there in WA. So, but it's just, and no one talks about it. No one talks about the mental health. I know people that like, I, this isn't from word of mouth or from a Facebook post, a restaurant I used to frequent in um, in the Bayside City Council region. Um, it it I went, went back there and the place was boarded up and, then a month later, there was a new restaurant in there. So I went in there and <clears throat> said hello and had a coffee or whatever. And it was, what happened to the previous owner? Oh, you, you didn't hear. He, he killed himself. 
just like, mm. oh, wow. Like, you know, yeah. you don't, you can't, they can't publicize suicides, whatever. But I think in a pandemic, I would argue you probably should publicize suicide because it's, it's given the other side of the anti case numbers. It's like these are real, yeah. real people that are, that are passing, not from coronavirus, but from the mental strain of what the government's doing. Mm, absolutely and you know like sort of what you said before like our politicians over here and our mainstream media parade our numbers 93 percent in new south wales it's over 95 percent you know and they parade these numbers like they're proud of it and it's just quite disgusting because as you said i would even go further actually than what you said i think it's more than half probably wouldn't have got it unless they had to unless they mm-hmm. felt they needed to i would say that there's only a very fringe minority group of Australians who wanted, actually desired and sought and was excited the vaccine came. I think a lot of Australians were kind of like all Australians, oh, that's what the government says, I'll just do it. But um, actual people who would have lined up eager without the coercion, without the loss of livelihood, I think it's a really small number of people. Um, And yeah, I think it's really condescending to the poor people who did line up because they said if I don't get this in my arm I'm not gonna be able to feed my family I'm gonna have to lose my house and I I feel really bad for the Aussies that were put in that position and then have our politicians shove it in their face like that but yeah I I I think you're 100% right about the long-term effects of COVID mental health, suicide, all these things. I think last year in Melbourne, um, there was a young boy, 14, who went missing and he uh, committed suicide. And the police, when they were looking for him, they, he'd gone missing at this stage or they didn't know what had happened. They sent the search party home. They sent his own brother home and said, because of COVID, you can't, you're not allowed to come out on the streets. Um, and, and then they found him the next morning. Um, and he'd ended his life a little boy like like yes he's 14 I think but he's a child and you know you're not allowed to talk about it over here I mean you're heavily censored I'm heavily censored we're not allowed to talk about these things that really matter to us Um, and yeah I think we're yet to see these repercussions and the ripple effect from all of it Um, but has it obviously you have family has it been hard on yourself like and, and your own sort of structure within your own home like how's that been for you oh, it's just been hard you know we've been for, for us we're in a unique position where financially i don't have the pressure of everyday families and i understand that a lot of people will say it's quite funny a lot of people say why why are you posting all this covert stuff and anti-government stuff when you're you're rich in your mansion i'm like that's exactly why i'm posting it you're actually mm-hmm. proving my point the reason why i'm posting it is because you know joe smith or you know bob whatever like they don't have a platform. Like no one cares, you know, no offense to them, but no one cares about a Facebook post they put out to, to 100 or 200 friends, right? I have a platform where I can actually reach people and, and, and there can mm. be a contrary view to what we hear every day. So I haven't had too much issue within my family or friends, to be honest, most most of my family and friends that have, um, you know, basically been mandated because they're going to lose their job and they've been on record saying to your point of, of we had to get it, we wouldn't have got it otherwise. Um, mm. uh, Boost is another thing, you know, the state's now, you know, mandating mm. that. That's going to be an interesting one, but I'm, yeah. I, I'm not going to hold my breath. I think once it comes down to people's jobs, they need to work, right? But, um, mm. yeah, it's just it's just a really, really interesting time. I mean, my, my point is, like, <clears throat> on uh, the Pfizer CEO himself has come out and said the first two doses of the vax do nothing for Omicron, right? 
so I keep asking the question publicly, like why is why are we mandating the first two doses and still still to this day we're still you can't yeah. some people aren't going to a cafe without being vaccinated. Mm. When the Pfizer CEO has said it does not work for Omicron, in fact he said the third probably doesn't help you as much, but we've got one coming in March. Well, I'm looking at the calendar; it's February. So what, what's the booster doing then? So and if these are mm. these are not valid questions that we can't discuss in an open forum without labeling someone an anti-vaxxer or a conspiracy theorist. We're, we're in a lost cause. This isn't this isn't me being anti-vax. You know, um, I'm all for it. Choice. I'm anti-mandate completely. And you know, a lot of myself, my family, all through our childhood, have, have had what we had to have. Um, and as far as my status, I don't I don't disclose it. I tell anyone who wants to know that it's none of your business. Um, it's the same way I don't want to know if you have an STD or you have whatever. It's none of my business. Mm-hmm. None of your business. But it's just. I just don't know where we're going, where, where people can't click in their brains. Like, hang on a second, you know, I'm, I'm, I can't let this person in because they don't have two doses of a vax that's been said that does not work for Omicron and has been said that it lasts for, what is it, three to six months? Three months now, they've lowered it to three months. They're saying three months. So if you've had yours, if you've had your double vax in, you know, July of 21, mm. so you're still fine to walk into a cafe? Like, it just yeah. makes no sense. You can't even have these conversations. Like, by their very own rhetoric and numbers and data, it is wrong. Um, mm-hmm. That doesn't yeah. prove that mandates are crazy. Nothing will. But some people just just won't buy it. No, no, it'll still work eight months later, even though they told us three months. Oh, no, no, no. It might still help you with Omicron, even though they said it won't. Like, I mean, are we watching watching and hearing different things? I'm not sure. Mm. I think it's really good that you're not telling people whether you're vaccinated or not vaccinated because it's kind of irrelevant, as you said, and it's really none of anybody's business, your private medical info. And this normalization of making this, um, you know, like every day is absurd. Like we're in a first world nation and you have to disclose your private medical details, your health status to get a coffee, like you said. And so I think it's really good Um that people are sort of saying it's not normal to ask somebody for their vaccination status for anything else. So you're not telling people. And I fully support your stand on that. And I think it's good. We should normalize not asking. We should, it is, and it's strange. Like it's one of the first things people ask. I've had like friends in my own life when I've want to catch up with them say, well, um, I, I feel like you're unvaccinated. Is that true? And I have to ask again. I'm like, what does it matter if I'm, I'm not sick? Why can't we catch up? And yeah, so I think normalizing this is a really bad precedent to set and a very big spiral into an area I don't think anybody really wants to end up in. But what did you think of the permanent pandemic legislation when that came into Victoria? Because these things are kind of expired, they're in and out, but now it's permanent. Like, was that kind of like the final nail in the coffin? Like, i got to get out of Victoria, that's it? Yeah, I mean, you you give politicians permanent power they're going to use it like let's not yeah. let's truly code this and say oh we might not need to use it they'll, they'll find ways to use it and it can yes. be like like they've said it could be five cases pop up in malta oh we're going to lock down victoria for up to three months at a time like what you know yeah. like just absolutely crazy and you know the, they passed those i wasn't shocked they passed on the independence as usual rolled over um and it's just you know what else I've figured out is how important independents are in the political landscape because mm-hmm. you had three or four um, independents that they held Victoria in their hands, right? 
and, and no one voted for him. They were like under one percent of the vote. Yeah, that's right. That, yeah, their vote, their vote was key to you mm. know legislation across the line. I'm strongly against that legislation. Um, I just I think it's just going to create more divide in the community. I think um, I just scratch my head at, at how people can even think that's reasonable, you know. But it was just the the daily damn press conferences and the fear mongering and and every mm. day, every day, every day, people got to a point where like we'll do whatever. What, what, what do we have to do to, to get our freedom back? Quote unquote. Yep, yeah, three month pandemic legislation. Cool. Let me just get back to work. And I think that's where they just worn so many people down that they, that they weren't thinking straight, honestly. And and we're at where we're at now and it's just it's just yeah it is it is a shame i mean i just you know can they use this now for other things you know i'm, I'm my whole theory long term is and, and this would be i'll be called crazy for it is i think there'll be climate change type lockdowns one yeah. day i really do i think i think it's i think the, the precedent has been set that lockdowns are an acceptable measure for health mm. there's already been the pool of climate change can cause health issues there's, there's now heart attacks from anxiety from climate change apparently is what we're reading uh, which is coincidentally at the same time as other things going on in the world but there's okay. um and these aren't these aren't my words like these you you can look that up mm. online yourself but I, I wouldn't be surprised if down the line you know they say oh we're just gonna pollution's getting a bit high or you know whatever we're, we're gonna we're just gonna lock down for two weeks and come back to work it would not surprise me at all well it's they've actually said it there's actually articles out there um, who that have said climate change lockdowns. Like, and these are like I'm talking big publications have actually started stipulating that th this is a good way moving forward and that it could curb the climate change issue. And it's interesting, a lot of these climate alarmists have also said during COVID, oh, the earth is healing. Look, I go down and there's birds in the trees again. There's fish in the ocean again. I have, you know, those little Christmas beetles that you used to get in Australia that they buzz around. Apparently, they're nearly dead, apparently. Uh, come to my house, I have a hundred of them every day, but apparently because of climate change, they're gone and people are saying they've come back. They've, you know, they were nearly extinct and now these amazing beetles are back. And so you can see that the legwork's there for them to implement this legislation to whatever cause they see fit. Exactly as you said, I don't think you're crazy. And I think a lot of people watching this are not going to think you're crazy because it's right there in front of our face. Um, and sadly, a lot of people don't want to see what's staring at them blank on but what I wanted to sort of talk about I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that you're on the naughty list at the moment with the Australian government and I wasn't sure what I could sort of ask you but I'll kind of let you lead with this you were you were sort of I guess the government the Victorian government kind of flexed at you um you you I think you posted something that they weren't happy with and they sent you a letter can you kind of explain to people who might not have any idea about that exactly what it is yeah, yeah, it was a Victorian government, not the Australian, but um, I guess this is factoring into your, you know, question about the uh, pandemic legislation and independence. It was right around that time, I think it was September, October, where, you know, we found out, the public found out that the votes are going to come down to some independence, whether this legislation gets over the line. Um, I'm in a, in a group chat with a bunch of like-minded people who have, you know, similar kind of views, mainly they all, they all have different views politically, but the one thing we had in common was get this government out at all costs. So we yeah. actually had people that were, you know, that would align to different parties, which was beautiful, which is what you want, but they were just all on the same page as like anyone but these this current government, right? So anyway, they put mm. together a, 
a very clever video um, video clip which used the the leading for the coronavirus ads in Victoria had a certain jingle. They used the same jingle. They used the same Victorian government colour scheme. And it basically just said, you know, the pandemic law legislation is going to be voted in by these, these politicians. If they vote this pandemic in, vote them out. That was that, 40 seconds. Mm. Um, it, it linked to a website, which was votethemout.com.au. Um, so anyway, I posted it on my socials. We all we all mass posted it out of that group chat. Now, some of these people in the group chat have small followings. Some of them have larger followings. So that's to note, right? We all posted, I think it was around October, September, October, and nothing didn't hear anything. And then early December, I get a letter um, through an admin email of all places. That, like it's an email that, you know, someone, an admin oversees it. And then it goes to another email and it ends up getting to me if it's if it's important, right? So I get this email and, I'm, and it's from the VEC, Victorian Electoral Commission. And I've posted it online, you can read it. And it basically just saying that, you know, you're potentially in breach and this is a caution notice. Um, you did not you did not put a declaration on your post. Now, a declaration for those wondering is when you watch those political ads and it says, this message is endorsed by XYZ from Canberra, blah, 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 blah. So I read that and I'm like, hang on a second, I'm not a politician. I'm on record as never endorsing any political party ever. I support certain things from certain political parties, but I'm very careful about not endorsing. I don't go all in political parties because you'll get burned that way, in my opinion, right? So then I read that. Then it, then it goes, it follows on to say, social media posts for the most part are exempt. So I'm like, okay, what's a social media post? Then it goes on about, you know, because you didn't do the declaration, it's, it's deemed illegal by, you know, you're influencing voters to vote a certain way. It had a declaration on it. That was the third thing. So votethemout.com.au was a website. Click the website. It went to a its own website, which had a declaration and had yeah. the company, the proprietary limited company, the guy who made the, the video, put it under his, under his company. It was all there. So I'm thinking, like, there's three things you stated that are all incorrect. Um, but they, so I, I posted the, the the letter. I've got some law, some advice first and foremost from some pretty high-end lawyers in Australia that are akin to this kind of stuff. Um, and they said, look, there's nothing illegal for you posting it. There's nothing really legally binding in that letter. All they're trying to do is they're letting you know that, that you're on their list. They're aware of you. It's a caution. Nothing really you have to do to follow up. If you do post it, um, they could make your life a bit more of a nuisance um, politically and with these kind of letters. That's what they said. So you're, you're free to post it. They can't do anything. They can't find you, but they could just, just make life hard for you. So I did post it. Um, I did a podcast about it and they, they were then in, it blew up. It was on the front page of the paper in, in Victoria and, and they, they got the, the media went to the VC and they doubled down on it. They doubled down. Like no one, you know, they try to play like, Oh, Andrew Bogart thinks he's this big celebrity and he can do what he wants. No, I don't. I think I'm an everyday citizen that has a right to post my political thoughts. Now, you know, Evelyn or your brother, sister, auntie, uncle, cousin goes on their Facebook page and says, this government sucks. That is actually deemed illegal. You can get a letter for that. Wow. This government, this government sucks. Don't vote for them. That's all you said on your Facebook post. You get a letter saying, we've had a, we've had a complaint, right? So now my thing is, okay, we know everyone, most people, most public service in Victoria is 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 in the current government's pocket. Like, let's be honest, they've got, and, yeah. and I commend Daniel Andrews and the Victorian government. They've clocked politics in that state. He has people everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. CFME, obviously the fire, the, the fireies and the ambulance service that, um, you know, inspected a 
an accident with a cyclist back in whatever year it was with a certain politician mm. that got quietly covered up. I mean, wherever you look, he's got people. So congratulate. I'm giving credit here. But, you know, all you Danbots are going to get mad. I'm giving credit. Clock politics. So then the question is, okay, who filed the complaints to the Electoral Commission? Mm. So, you know, oh, you know, it was nothing to do with the current, the current party in power, blah, 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 blah. So a lot of people have been, you know, taken aback by this. I've had barristers email me saying, push them. If something happens, we'll represent you in court. High-end barristers, mind you. Um, mm. Political officials have reached out. Um, powerful business brokers in Victoria have all reached out. And, you know, they're disgusted with, with that because they know this could be me or my child or my grandkid one day that gets one of these letters. So mm. that's basically it. I mean, it, it was... Like I said, the fact that they doubled down once they got all this attention and were just trying to then paint me as a villain of, of like a arrogant celebrity sportsman thinks he's above the laws. I know I'm not above the law, but I'm not a politician or a political party. And I have never stated vote for this party, right? And then yeah. my whole thing, even if I did say vote for this party as an individual citizen of Australia, even if I did go as hard as I could and I'm not a politician or a political party. What? So you're telling me every social media post has to have a declaration. Um, and to finish it off, there's another high-powered individual who has lodged a freedom of information request from the VEC. They have 30 days to respond about who lodged the complaint. So we'll get we'll get that result here in 15 mm. to 20 days and find out who it was. Because um, I believe you cannot be anonymous. I think you have to actually give you know, your full name and address to lodge those kind of complaints for them to be taken seriously. That's true. I, you know... I, I know how these things sort of work. And yes, um, you, you can't be anonymous. So that'll be really interesting in 15 or 20 days, what that kind of produces. But it's really scary, isn't it? That everyday citizens like you and me can't talk out against our government. That's very China-esque, <laughs> if you ask me. The control of media, the control of politicians the control of speech and what you can view and listen to like that's really scary and the fact that that's over here in Australia I don't think people realize um and this is something I, I noticed during the pandemic people don't realize the legislation that we have in Australia and the power that it has I mean in Western Australia some of these public health acts were enacted in 1956 our one in New South Wales, 2010. Um, I'm not sure off the top of my head, the one in Victoria, but you got that new permanent pandemic legislation. But these are all things that have been around in Australia for a long time. We didn't need this pandemic legislation in 2010, but it was there. And then it was used later on, a whole decade later. And um, so I think that the precedent of, of controlling info and what we can and can't say in this legislation, it's really, it's, uncomfortable being an Australian citizen and having this potential has this what's happened to you with the Victoria um, the electoral commission and all this has this changed the way that you sort of interact online or is it emboldened you even more like where do you kind of sit with that all that now no it's not going to change you I go at the elections Victoria as much as I can show them the hypocrisy of, of what they've done but I'm not going to change because I got a you know a letter that was mind you very poorly worded and the grammar was horrible, so I guess it was um, the junior bird on the on the public purse that we're, my taxes are paying for to write that letter, to, you know, to me. But yeah, you're right. It's it's just it's I've, I've said this from the start. Whether you agree with my my views, my opinions, how I go about it, that put that aside. Put aside that you if you hate me, put it aside. Right, put that aside. Forget about it. 
and then just look at what the letter and what all this has has has, has encompassed, mm. right? That, yes. Like I said, that, that could be anybody. That could be anybody. And 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 rest assured, whether you are fully in support of the current Victorian government, whether you're fully in support of Scott Morrison, whoever it is, right? You're in, you're in support of that government. Yep, you know, screw Andrew Bogart. He deserves that letter. He's not above the law. Well, that law is going to be there when a government you hate is in power. Right? Exactly. Yeah. When you, you post something that you hate about that government, you might get one of those letters. And that's what people don't realize. They think, yeah. oh, you know, you know, deserve it, that's don't break the law, but it's it's you know, good people break bad laws at the end of the day. Um, and I still don't think I've broken a law, mind you, but it, it's people need to realize that it's, it's bigger than that. And you go back to your comment about, you know, very China-esque, very North Korea-esque, and we 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 snub our noses at those nations and we have. You know, mm. countries in the Middle East and our Emirates. Oh, look at them, dictatorship. We're not different. The only, the only the only thing that's different about us is we label it a democracy. So people think yeah. they're in a democracy. You're not in a democracy. As we've seen the last two years through a pandemic, you're not in a democracy when you have to bow to your government every other day. When you have yeah. to be mandated, you know, um, you know, jabs. Um, whether you're, you're mandated to to wear a mask out in public, um, you're mandated to not do this, can't see your family, can't see your grandparents, Victoria, mm. can't, can't go visit family or elderly, but our brothels around the corner, the red light is on, they're functioning perfectly fine. Yeah. What a joke. They're engaging in that work, but social distancing 1.5 metres apart maybe, I don't know, I, I haven't been there to find out, mm. but that's the hypocrisy, bottle shops open, you know, gyms closed, you know, and you're just like looking at this, how are people not realising that this is not right? So. Hopefully these kind of conversations don't don't win people over to my side or your side, but they just, hopefully people can see these and be like, oh, actually that kind of makes sense. Let me look more into this. Let me read about this. Why is this happening? Mm. That I think is a win. Um, and and yeah. that's 40, 50% of the people lie in that bracket that are just kind of like, eh, I'll go either side, I'll go with the flow. And we yeah. need those people. Those are the important people that we need to be on. No, like no more, no more, no more power from governments. We've had enough. Mm. And like you said, as time moves on, culture changes, different politicians become in power, but the legislation remains. So you and I've always said this, you might think that it's worth it for COVID. It's worth it for this particular issue. But one day it might be your kid or your grandkid who's up against something and then you're not happy but you did nothing back then and you allowed the legislation because you thought it it was justifiable. But like you said, there's that, that 40, 60% of people who kind of just go with the flow. If everybody was at least at a point where they could look objectively at things without censorship and we could actually debate things, we might actually at least be able to put our country in a position where we have the freedom of choice and we have the freedom of what information we want to consume and what we don't want to consume. Um, but I'm hopeful that, you know, we can at least lead people to water and then they can decide if they want to have a drink or not. I think that's probably the only thing realistically we can do at this particular moment. But what I kind of wanted to finish off with a little bit was the situation with Novak Djokovic. And I want to ask you specifically, one, because you're a sportsman, you know how important training is, 
travel is and I guess special events like I'm sure in basketball there are particular tournaments or competitions that are like the peak of your career and you work really hard for it and it's probably similar with tennis um I actually have a cousin who's an Olympian as well and he um I know he had specific events that he would work towards and if he was told he couldn't compete that's like four years wasted of of his life basically um and with sport you've got age as well like the older that you you get the less you're able to compete your physicality decreases I mean there are some incredible athletes out there who are better than me who are in their 60s um, I'm not saying you know it's one shoe fits all but there's a real significance for the individual athlete and then there's also the issue I wanted to talk about the uh, politics around everything that happened with Djokovic and for those who don't know the Australian Open was a tennis tournament over here it's one of four of the biggest tennis tournaments around the world that happened um, and I believe if Djokovic competed here in the Australian Open, he would have broken a record, um, like a, a world record of the amount of grand slams he's won in total. The Australian government allowed him in on a visa and then they basically it went to court and said the visa was fine. And then our, um, our immigration minister basically kicked him out and he wasn't able to compete. And there were other athletes who... Uh, were positive for COVID upon entering Australia, but because they were double vaccinated, they were able to stay and compete. And because Djokovic was unvaccinated, anyway, it's a bit of a mess, but if you could kind of shed a bit of light on the athleticism side of it and what that actually would have meant, and then the politics, I'd, I'd love your insight in on this. And just, just quickly to touch on, you know, missing tournaments, back to this in as well, if, if I was a 15-year-old or there's kids out there that have 14, 15, 16, that's the prime time for you to make the jump from a boy or a junior to the pros in any sport, right? You know, that's taken away for two years. So think about those kids that are, yeah. you know, they've had that's 11, so 12, true. 13, well, and 14, 15, the, the vital two years of their sporting life out the window, right? Yeah. So that's just, but the, the Djokovic thing, there's one thing you missed. So, he, he got the visa from, from the Australian officials, the Australian Open granted him to come in, all fine. It only started to backtrack when people figured he was unvaccinated and public sentiment yeah. started to rise. The media fueled it. They love a villain in Australia. We know that. Tall Poppy was, was, was right. Um, so then they go to, they go to court. Um, the judge votes that he's done everything right on his paperwork. That was for, the first thing the media said was he ticked the wrong box or he didn't do X, Y, Z. His paperwork's invalid. Judge said, no, perfectly fine. And then they, my thing is in Australia, like what's the point in going to that, that court hearing if a day later, then you can reappeal it again until you get the result you want. We'll just keep appealing until we get the result we want, right? So then they end up appealing. It then goes to a panel of three judges. The rhetoric we got was it wasn't his visa or paperwork that was the issue. It wasn't because he was unvaccinated that was the issue. It was the sentiment that he would create within the community about, any fueling anti-vax sentiment That's that was right. right that is absolutely bananas because that is wrong thing that is george orwell to a t yes you coming here is gonna gonna have you know it's gonna create violence in the streets you can say that about anyone anyone you want mm. you can say, hey uh in 1955 you attended a a rally that was anti-war, like we think, or, or pro-war, whatever it is. Like you can use, the, people don't understand that that can be used to stop anybody at any time coming into our country. And mm -hmm. I'm sitting there thinking like, this isn't to do with 
false paperwork or wrong paperwork or lying or they try to paint it as if he he went to Spain and didn't declare blah 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 no they, they've come out and said we're, we're, we're concerned about the rhetoric in our anti-vax community if he comes it'll be like a win for the anti-vaxxers what yeah that is hugely concerning hugely concerning more than anything else I don't care about the unvaccinated um Djokovic I don't care about his paperwork that is concerning and, and yeah look he's, he's now not the record holder Nadal, you can't fault him. He's done his job and gone out there. There's an asterisk on that championship, in my opinion, on the Australian Open to an, to an extent. Don't blame Nadal. He did whatever he could. And he's just, you know, but it just it just doesn't sit well with me. Um, everything yeah. going around, I think we've really, you know, really hurt ourselves and our reputation internationally. I have a lot of I have yeah. a lot of friends and family that were that are both sides of politics, funnily enough, messaging me saying. WTF is going on in Australia. Like what, what is <laughs> yeah. these are these are people mm. that are pretty level-headed, pretty well read, players and coaches in the NBA. They've all said, What is going on there, man? Get out of there. Why are you still there? Um, and I'm yeah. like, well, look, I mean, I love my country, I love, I love my fr- friends and family here, and there's very good people here still. And I'm, I'm gonna fight. I've got a voice, I'm gonna fight as much as I can. And maybe, maybe I am crazy. Maybe I should have packed my bags long ago and left. But that's what my family did in former Yugoslavia. They they left that. Um, much more, you know, it was getting more hardcore over there. There was artillery being involved and whatever and, mm. and bullets being fired, but they they escaped that to come here. It's like, no, we, we got to stop running, um, you know, and and stand up and fight and kind of that's my mindset. But it's this whole Djokovic thing, you know, now now Kanye West is the other one they're talking about and it's just going to continue on, you know, mm. no, one's above, no one's above the law in Australia. You got to follow the rules. Oh, yeah? Like there's notable amounts of time where, all these politicians broke the rules. There was lockdowns in Victoria. Brett Sutton's flying to Canberra for some sort of award that he got. Then you've got other MPs that were supposed to be in their five-kilometre lockdown going to their nice little country estate. That's breaking the rules. So don't, yeah. it all came down to public sentiment and it all came down to the government in an election year trying to flex some posture. And, you know, no one's above no one's above being an everyday citizen. you gotta, you got to toe the line and... And, and, and follow the rules and I'm like I don't buy it it's, it's a strictly political um the interesting thing that to watch in the future will be next year's Australian Open because they've already they've already started yeah. that they've already started. we're not gonna let you back next year mate we're gonna let you it's just like what that's a year away how do we know what's gonna happen in a year like mandates mm. might be done by then yeah it's a very scary precedent to set as you said like I mean <laughs> the possibilities from here are endless and the power that the, that the government have to do something like this. I mean, they've set it on record, as you said, um, that, you know, it doesn't matter that you're unvaccinated, it doesn't matter about your visa, you could raise anti-vax sentiment <clears throat> in Australia. So you're out like that's huge. That's historical. And I think this is something we're going to look back on in 20 years and be like, wow, why didn't we make a bigger deal about this? Um, it's something that we're not talking about enough, but do you, I mean, like, I'm still here with you. Like, I'm stuck here and I have the same sort of thing. People are saying, why are you here? Get out, get out, get out. And it's almost impossible for me to get out right right now. <laughs> like, it's really difficult. But, you know, even if I could, there is a part of me that wants to stay and sort of see this through. As you said, this is our home. You know, this is our family, this is our friends, this is our life. It doesn't feel like the home that I knew. I don't know if you, you feel the same. It's very different to the world that I grew up in as a child. But um, I love it here. I do. I love this country. Um, and I want to see us get through this. Do, do you think it's possible at this point in time that we can kind of come back from this? Or do you think this is just going to be a new way of life for us Aussies? It's going to, it's going to take time if it does. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, yeah. I'm not optimistic with what I've seen. Um, 
you know, I think it comes down to the people, you know, this, this, one other thing is like, this hasn't just happened during coronavirus, right? This government overreach, this has been, this has been implemented the last 15, 20, 25 years, right? Yeah. I've made this example before, but in the early 2000s, I remember there was water restrictions, right? Right when I was. Yeah, that's right. right? It's a silly example, but I remember the, all the fear mongering on a current affairs and today tonight's in the news every day was like, you know, we're going to run out of water, blah, 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 blah. Then it was, you can only water your garden from, it had something like you could do at it. At night time in the afternoon. Whatever it was, it was like. Yeah, I remember. Late at night when you're back from work, once a day, you can't wash your car, blah, blah, blah. So they got the sentiment so rife in community where neighbours were dobbing on each other for. Sprinklers on. Their, <laughs> or watering their garden outside of the time or, yeah. or washing their car because that was deemed illegal, right? And my mum told yeah. that trap because my, my parents, you know, Everyday working Australians, they work nine till five, five thirty-six. Dad would come home, dinner would be on the table. We'd watch Seven News, or, or nine, I think it was Seven News, and then today tonight was after that. So whatever's being fed, they took in. So my mum one yeah. day was like, "Oh, neighbours watering their garden, and it's it's three pm." <clears throat> yeah. Or whatever. Um, that I call and report him. And I remember saying, "Like, why do you? What does it matter? Why, why do you? Why do you care? That's not right. Don't don't mm. gobble on your because daily government said so. So that was." 20 plus years ago and that's a small thing there's countless other examples of that kind of stuff but it was already being ingrained in us to daddy government knows best and dob on your neighbor dob on your friend dob on your family member so people that think oh this is just coronavirus it's been slowly implemented right and that's hard to tell people and it's just we're one of the most over legislated countries in the world but we're a beautiful safe nation for the most part but we are you can you can go out go out for the day and do some errands and get 35 different fines for doing 35 different things. That's the kind of... Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's just been now, you know, the spotlight's been put on it because of coronavirus. Mm. Those people, this hasn't just happened the last two years. Wake up and do some research. And that's why I'm not optimistic of it happening quickly, if at all. I think people are just this way of life. They just listen to... The government is their God. It's their religion. You know, that's... Whatever they say is gospel. They've always got my my um best interest in in mind it's like the amount of money we're throwing at coronavirus we could have got every homeless person in the mansion i know like, we found all this money but now we still got homeless in the street like you get yeah. them in a night you know just just examples like that you know um and that's yeah. that's what frustrates me about people that that just don't see that they think that they don't have they have your best interests in mind maybe a little bit with certain things but for the most part they're trying to get re-elected their best interest is what do I think I need to say? So Joe Blow ticks my my box in the ballot. That's all they care about. Mm. They don't care about anything else. All this social justice stuff, all this, it's all polling. And what do I need to say to get that demographic? Oh, teenagers like that, that kind of stuff. Let me, I'm pro this. Yes, I'm for the court. That's all it is. It's nothing to do mm. with, you need, you know, unfortunately in Australia, especially we have these life of politicians. We need to get them out. If you're a life of politician, and your whole goal out of high school, I just want to be a politician, out. See you later. Yeah. I'll put a present in that you need to go and work in small business or or everyday yeah. life. I don't know, three years, five years. You need to realize that, you know, okay, I'm a boss of a company and I've got to pay all these employees and I've got to do this and I've got to pay my, it's hard, you know. Mm. So when you get the government, you're like, I'm gonna make that a little bit easier for my former self and these other people running a business. Yeah. But it's just too easy, and, and that's what really, really stresses me. People say, like, what's your solution you're just throwing stones that's one no life of politicians if you want to be a life of politician go do something else um you got to have some sort mm. of back 
background that we can be like, you were a respectable part of our society before you became a politician and you understand how hard it is to raise a family, run a small business, pay your taxes, you know, see an accountant, do all that stuff while functioning a business and trying to make a living and put food on the table. You then understand the perils of that. So once you get up there, you should hopefully be sympathetic to those causes. So, but to answer your question shortly, I don't hold my breath. I think we're a long way away from getting back to normality in Australia. I feel exactly the same. I've always said that um, it's not going to be COVID's finish and this is over. Like you mentioned, it's been going on for a really long time. Um, I know like I've had neighbours dob in for cutting down trees and I live in a bushfire prone area. I have a bell rating of 40, which is one below flame zone. Yet I get in trouble for cutting down a tree that could set my my home and my family on fire. Like it's, it's as you said, this has been in the workings for a long time. Kids haven't been able to go to daycare or be look or go to certain schools if they haven't been vaccinated. These things have been here in our frameworks laying dormant and silent for a really long time. So I think you're right. I think we've got a long way to go, but I think, you know, you also mentioned people say that we don't have solutions. Part of the solution is having this conversation. Part of this solution is you and me chatting about this objectively um, and without censorship, because that's how more people can see the elephant in the room. We almost have to point the elephant in the room to people so that people can start examining the elephant and looking at the ele elephant and then going, how do we get this elephant out of the room? We can't just say this is happening. It's too it's like ripping the band-aid straight off. We almost have to point out the wound where it is. So these conversations I think are super important. Even if people say we don't offer solutions, I believe this is part of that solution. Um, and so, you know, I'm really grateful that you came on today. I'm super grateful that you had the time to have this conversation with me. I do know that you're running a podcast of your own. I'd love for you to share a little bit about that, where people can go and follow it and listen to it. And I guess um, how often are you sort of putting them out? Yeah, it's at Rogue Bogues. So Bogues is B-O-G-U-E-S. Um, it's all, on all good platforms, uh, podcast-wise. It's on YouTube. We upload on there as well. Weekly basketball show. Also do a, um, I did a kind of a biography type, what a, what a biography book would be, but via podcast. So it starts from, you know, young Andrew and goes all the way up with each episode. I do awesome. an in-conversation piece, which is similar to what you're doing and try to get influential people on with different points of views. And then there's um, a few other ones. We do a car chat with a friend of mine. I'm, I'm big in, you know, into muscle cars and collector cars. And then we do a little bit with some, some political type topics. So there's something there for everyone, whether you agree or disagree, there's something you like and just try to have conversations about different things and give, give a different side of all those topics that you will find in mainstream media. Um, and it's long form. Like it's, that's the good thing about podcasts, as you know, like you might say something silly in, in an hour and a half, but for the most part, it's very hard to take people out of context. And I've had media try to do it already with the podcast. <laughs> of course. I can pour it out of my podcast and put it as a headline. And I'm like, well, actually, I'll, I'll just put a link. Do you want to listen to the whole thing? Because mm. before or after that changes that whole damn quote. So that's yeah. why I've always wanted to do a podcast because I know that I can be controversial at times, but I know if I get my whole five-minute spiel point across, people understand it much better than a 20-second grab. So, yeah, yeah, at Rogue Bones and at Rogue Bones on all social media platforms. Yeah, thanks again. And thank you for having the courage and the boldness to be someone, a blue tick person, so they say, and someone with a platform who is willing to speak out unapologetically, unashamedly. Uh, it's exactly what we need right now. I know in Australia, I'm incredibly grateful for your presence on social media. 
Um, and I know so many other people are as well. So thank you. Please go and follow his other podcasts. Go follow him. He's a great guy. And yeah, thanks again, Andrew, for coming on today. Of course, everyone. Thank you.